The following podcast is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. Welcome to another episode of Parking the Bus. This is episode 37. And I am the Mr. Mike Agustinu here with you once again. And now we are reviewing this past weekend's UEFA Champions League final between Manchester City and Chelsea Football Club. What a tactical chess match this was. And I can't wait to get into it and to start to talk about it with you in this episode. I hope everyone is doing well. I hope everyone enjoyed episode 36, the Europa League final review. And I hope everyone listening in the United States of America took some time today, Monday, May the 31st, to realize how fortunate you are and realize how fortunate we all are to be free and to be alive in a country that grants us so many freedoms. And I say that with my state opening up this weekend. And it would not be possible without the sacrifice of the many, many, many men and women who gave the ultimate, the ultimate sacrifice for all of us and, um, you know, who, who didn't come home, so to speak. All those who gave their lives in the service of this great country, these United States of America, that make this the greatest country in the world, I sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, sincerely thank you. And I'm blessed to be an American, okay? Um, I need to say that straight out, okay? Too many people think this is just a national barbecuing day. No, there is. there was a heavy price paid for this day off that we're all enjoying today. And I hope everyone took a moment today to realize that. And I do hope everyone enjoyed their, their long weekend. And I do hope everyone enjoyed time with their loved ones as, you know, things start to make their way back to normal here. In the good old United States of America. And what better way to celebrate normalcy than to get back to talking what we love most. Which is football in this case. And UEFA Champions League. The final played in Portugal. In Porto. In in a country I'm very familiar with. I just talked about how blessed I am to be here in the United States. To be born here in the United States. My parents, as most of you know, born in Portugal. So this is... This final was played in my ancestral home. Lots of controversy that nobody's talking about in the English language press. There is nobody talking about the controversy. And the controversy is this. Portugal is basically under lockdown still. Okay. Um, I shouldn't shouldn't say it 
quite that strongly. Okay, there are there are still heavy restrictions in place in the country. Most notably, from a football sense, is that supporters are not allowed in stadiums at this time in Portugal. We just concluded our season, and there are no fans. There were no fans allowed in the stadium, not even in the cup final one week prior to this UEFA Champions League final. Okay. Uh, the cup final was played maybe an hour to an hour and a half south of the city of Porto in the University City of Coimbra, where no spectators were allowed. Okay, let that sink in. On Sunday of last week, no spectators allowed in the cup final. By Wednesday, English fans are showing up in droves in Porto. Okay, they're coming in large numbers. This was not a bubble environment that the Portuguese government had promised to the people when they when they agreed to authorize this final. No, no, no. This was this was British. And and let me be clear. I'm in full support of of this. I mean, yes, the the hosting this final was a good thing, and I am sure the restaurant and cafe owners around the city were relieved to have high-paying um patronage from all of these British football supporters who came to this city to support their teams. And that part of it I am in full support of. I am always fighting for the small businesses that are struggling to stay alive. I am fully in support of that. What I'm not in support of is the government's anti-football sentiment towards clubs in their own country, especially towards supporters. They look at them as thugs. They look at them as, as lower class um, there's a lot of envy from the government. There's a lot of envy from politicians because, let's be honest, Portuguese people are much more captivated by football than they are by politics. And to this day, I think there is still a growing resentment among the intellectual elite in Portugal with the football culture. And I think the intellectual elite's grip on the government and on those elected um, in keeping supporters away from football when theaters are allowed to be open oh the theater is per- perfectly fine let's go watch a play the indoors that's perfectly fine but a football match outside in an open stadium where there's plenty of room to spread people out that's not acceptable and then we see what we saw this past weekend which was just droves of english supporters coming in and a large crowd i mean i know it was only 16,000 in change but to our eyes when you haven't seen supporters for so long it it was beautiful to see but at the same time like this w- could have been possible sooner with with good protocols in place with you know foresight this could have been possible sooner and it is not fair that foreign visitors get this kind these kinds of privileges as well you know native born citizens and and native uh you know, naturalized citizens, residents are not afforded the same rights and the same privileges. But that's my two bit there. And um, if you can't tell, I'm not a fan of the Portuguese government. Um, very, very blessed to live in America uh, and to have been born here. And um, I'm very glad I don't deal with with a lot of what goes on over there. On that side, it's a beautiful country. I love visiting. I love to live there in my old age and, and see out my final days there. But when it to be you know a family person right now to be a working person and trying to raise a family it, it would be much harder there i'm sorry it really would i mean the the ceiling is lower there's no question about it i may get some flack for this but 
that's just my personal view on the matter, and I'd be remiss if I didn't express it here. So we're going to take a quick break, and on the other side of this real quick ad, this quick promo for Euro 2020 here on the Parking the Bus podcast, we'll get right in to the UEFA uh, Champions League Final 2021 from Porto. This is Parking the Bus. I am the Mr. Mike Agustin. You follow me on Twitter at PTB underscore media and on Instagram at the same PTB underscore media. And also don't forget to check out www.parkingthebusmedia.com. UEFA Euro 2020 this summer here on the Parking the Bus podcast. And welcome back to episode 37 of Parking the Bus. All right, we are parking the bus in Portugal, in Porto, the Estadio do Dragão, the Dragon Stadium, home of FC Porto. And the recorded attendance for this match is 14,110, which is a very good number considering that, you know, fans and supporters have been shut out of stadiums for the over the past year for more than a year now about 15 months or so so this was a very very nice and they made enough noise for they made enough noise really to make it sound like uh, any other champions league final to be honest with you it's manchester city taking on chelsea the referee is from spain it is antonio mateo now let's take a look here and go to the lineups and these lineups are brought to you by the Fop Bob app today. We'll start with Manchester City. And actually, before we get into the lineups, why don't I go through the road to the final that each team had to go through, okay? And starting with Manchester City. Now, both of these teams have played in this stadium already in this edition of the Champions League. So both of them were familiar with where they were playing and Manchester City were there first as they were in the group with Porto, Olympiacos, and Marseille. And Manchester City finished the group top with 16 points, advancing easily to the round of 16. In the round of 16, Manchester City uh, pulled off a fairly easy 4-0 aggregate victory over the two legs over German side Borussia Mönchengladbach move forward to the quarterfinals in Manchester City again against German opposition. This time Borussia Dortmund were on the other side and it was a 4-2 aggregate victory for Borussia, for Manchester City excuse me, over Borussia Dortmund and Pep Guardiola had Manchester City playing the best football in the world this season. It is, it is if you're a Manchester City supporter, this one has to sting and um if you're just a neutral and you like a good football, you have to be wondering what happened on this day. And perhaps the most impressive feat of Manchester City this, this year was not winning the league by a zip code, winning the league by a, a country mile, as you say here in the United States. No, it was the 4-1 masterclass thrashing they gave over two legs to Paris Saint-Germain. Sending Mauricio Pochettino home and sending Neymar home. Sending Kylian Mbappe home. Angel Di Maria home. Manchester City played their best football. And maybe they peaked in those 180 minutes against PSG. 
It was a 4-1 thrashing. They won in Paris. They won in Manchester. There was no doubt. They they made PSG come apart at the seams. They made that team implode. Pep Guardiola looked like a whole new manager. It looked like the days of freezing up in the final and the days of the tiki-taka going nowhere. We're way behind them. We're in the past. We're in the rear view. But then we get to Porto and to the final. Of course, you're asking, what do you mean, Porto? Yes, the final was supposed to be in Istanbul. But it was moved three weeks early. Three weeks before the scheduled date. Some three weeks or so before. um, When Turkey became a red zone nation in terms of COVID for the British government. And at that point, the final had to be moved when you had two British teams facing each other. It made no sense to go into a red zone. And it, was, it would be virtually impossible to get these players quarantined in time to return to their national teams in time for Euro 2020. And therefore, it had to be moved. And the timing was just perfect. It coincided with Portugal becoming a green code nation at that time and travel to Portugal becoming permitted once again and also the fact that this stadium this city Porto was was uh, deprived of the bid they had been granted to host the UEFA Super Cup earlier this season they were supposed to host the Super Cup back in August of course it wasn't played until September I want to say late in September but uh, it was moved away from the stadium as Portugal at that time was not in the green zone. And UEFA went elsewhere with it. And now they sort of repaid the favor and they brought the Champions League final to Porto. So for the first time in the history of the Champions League, the final was played in the same country in back-to-back years. Of course, last season it was in an empty stadium at the Estadio de Luz at the Stadium of Light in Lisbon, the home of Benfica. Uh, this year, 14,110 on hand at the Estadio do Dragão, or the Dragon Stadium in the northern city of Porto in the provincial city. And um, a step in the right direction for football, no doubt, as we move closer to having people in these stadiums once again. Chelsea's road to the final. And Chelsea in the group stage also won their group. They were in a group that featured Sevilla, Krasnodar, and Rennes. And Chelsea topped the group with 14 points. In the round of 16, Chelsea picked up a a uniform, if you will, or a routine 3-0 aggregate victory over who would later become Spanish champion Atletico Madrid. And in the quarterfinals, they wouldn't return this uh, not return but they would go to this stadium for the first time for the first leg of the quarterfinal winning 2-0 over the home side over Porto Chelsea would drop the home leg in the return 1-0 but would win 2-1 on aggregate and advance to the the semifinals where they played a lackluster disappointing Real Madrid and Chelsea 3-1 deserved aggregate winners over Real Madrid in the semifinals. Now, back to the final. Now that we know how both teams got here, here are the 11. And we're going to start with Pep Guardiola's 11 for Manchester uh, for Manchester City in a fairly simple and old school, and in my, my estimation or my opinion, 
Uh, mundane, a 4-3-3. As Ederson starts in goal, his right back is Kyle Walker, his center back pairing John Stones and Ruben Diaz. And Pep opts to go with Alexander Zinchenko at left back as he has all season in the Champions League rather than his Premier League choice at that position, João Cancelo. And I'll be quite honest with you, I think this decision in part contributed to the results as Zinchenko had himself, I thought I thought he had himself, defensively speaking, a, a rough evening. He gets a decent rating from the folks at, at FOTMOB. Um, I'm sure he did fine on SofaScore as well, but really, really a lot of questions to be asked of him on the goal. And, uh, well, I'm not sure that that decision paid off. His three in midfield, it's anchored by Ilke Gondogan. He's got Phil Foden to his left and Bernardo Silva to his right. And up front, a attacking trio of Kevin De Bruyne in the striker role. I'll get to what I think about that. And I thought this was one of City's real big downfalls, is how De Bruyne was forced to play this match um, in that role. And I didn't like it, and I, I will get to it as we get into the, into the match itself. But to his left, he had Raheem Sterling, and to his right, Riyad Mahrez. For Chelsea, a little bit more of a dynamic formation for Thomas Tuchel. Edward Mendy, of course, is the goalkeeper. Three central backs across the back line. It's the captain, Cesar Azil Pueta, uh, on as a right center back. Thiago Silva is the center center back, and Antonio Rudiger the left center back. Wing backs are Reese James on the right and Ben Chilwell on the left. A double pivot in midfield of Jorginho and the remarkable and impeccable. N'Golo Conte with two two attacking mids in front of him. It's Mason Mount and Kai Havertz. Remember those two names. All right, by the end of the episode, you will remember those two names. And the striker is Germany's Timo Werner. Um, and Timo Werner, you know, had another tough outing. But for as poor as his finishing has been this season, he is someone you want to watch if you're coaching kids, for example, teaching them how to play as a striker. If you remove his his lack of finishing, lack of quality even in front of goal this season, and you just focus on his movements and his utilization of space, uh, Timo Werner does a lot on the pitch for Chelsea Football Club, even if he's missing goals left and right. So we're going to move into the match. Those are the two the, that is where the, the two teams start on the chessboard. And I I have no no qualms in saying I like Chelsea's setup much better. I look at this 4-3-3 from, from Pep, and I see an antiquated game. The way I see a 4-4-2 with a flat line of four across the midfield. It just becomes very easy and predictable to play against if your players are not making the movements that you want them to make. Now, Bernardo Silva forced to play. He plays as a right center mid in this one. And as you're watching the match, you see him doing a lot of the center attacking. Uh, so he, you, you see him coming into the center of the park all match. Okay, Ilke Gundogan trying to play as a holding mid, I suppose. The real problem here, and it'll come up in the goal, is he's not a holding mid. And Pep leaves two actual holding bids on the bench by way of Fernandinho and by way of Rodri. 
And neither one of those will start in this. Neither one of those two guys start in this match. And I thought he left his back four uh, overly exposed. I think he was overconfident in Stones and in Diaz. And honestly, it didn't take long. I think I think that Chelsea went right at John Stones early. John Stones was very very nervous in this in these opening ten minutes, and. You saw Chelsea trying to attack his side of the of the defense, um, his side of the back line, and you saw Chelsea just much more comfortable at the start of the match. Now, um, City early on looked like they were they were up for it as well, but as the first ten minutes wore on, you saw Chelsea growing in in, in stature, growing in confidence. I think you saw Conte taking control of the entire tempo of the match, the entire pace at which it was going to be played. And in the fourth minute, Conte threads it through to Werner on the right, and Werner was not picked up. He goes right in, and he squares it to Havertz from the byline, but it's a heavy touch that takes it away from Havertz and manages to pull it back towards goal, but Ederson is there to collect it early in the in the fourth minute. In the sixth, it's a good through ball from De Bruyne. Down the right to Walker. Kyle Walker going down the right to chase it. He looks like he's got the better of Thiago Silva as he outmuscles the defender before drilling across, but the referee deems it a foul. The flag does go up as well, and Walker called for the foul. In the eighth minute, it's it's one thing that makes this goalkeeper so dangerous offensively. It is Ederson with a beautiful ball over the top, picking out Sterling, who pulls back, who pulls off the back of Reese James. And while the right back manages to get a foot to it, he can only first force Sterling wide. And then Mendy called in to make a save on the shot and push it away from the near post. That was the first calling of, of Eduard Mendy in this matchup. And now from there, I think, is where we start to see Chelsea grow. And you start to see Chelsea look like the Premier League champions in this one. As Werner has a brilliant run. Or I should say it's Werner. After a brilliant run by Mount down the left, Mount pulls back, finds uh, Werner on the square ball in the middle of the box. But the German scuffs it. And this is... He swings with his left foot, misses it, and it hits his plant foot, his right plant leg, and squirms away, and City will break out quickly from that play, and they'll go on the counter through Sterling. Sterling's cross is blocked by Chilwell, okay? And this has became a reoccurring theme for Raheem Sterling in this match, and I think, guys, that managers, coaches, those who have, you know, who think of the methodology of football, this it's almost an overuse of the inverted wingers now because there was a time where inverted wingers still played as wingers, okay, and they could still go down the left on their weaker foot and cross it when they needed to. That seems to have been stamped out of the game. Here you have Sterling running at pace, okay. Running at pace down the left flank towards the the left center channel. He, heading towards the, the penalty area. With the ball on his right foot. His inside right foot. Which this is terrible fundamentals. Okay. And this is something you teach kids not to do. 
because what happens here is Chilwell is able to to cut the angle off, and when Chilwell runs his angles his run so that he makes up for the fact that that Sterling is a faster player. Sterling has more pace. Problem is because Sterling is dribbling with the outside of his right foot. There is nothing to protect that ball from Chilwell's tackle. Chilwell comes in, and he just sweeps it up, okay? And Sterling has it pickpocketed from him simply because he was, in my opinion, dribbling with the wrong foot. He was looking to set himself up for a shot on that inside right foot. I understand that, but he ne the problem was, you know, you have to protect the ball better than that. And I think when you're making that run, even if you're making that run, Diagonal towards goal, towards the from the left to the left center. That ball's gonna be on your left foot, so when the play, the player can't just slide in front of you and take it. Your body is there to protect the ball from your opponent. The way that Sterling was running at pace and dribbling this ball all match, he was leaving it exposed. And what he was doing essentially was throwing away the advantage he had in pace against his competitors, against Chilwell in most cases. And Chilwell, being intelligent, was able to angle his run so that he just kept beating Sterling to the spot where Sterling wanted to cut back and then and then set himself up for a, a finish. This was the first of many times that, that Sterling was pickpocketed by Chilwell in this match. In the 12th, it is uh, Reese James playing another good through ball down the right. And it would be Stones chesting it down before slipping, which lets Werner in behind. And like I said... John Stones was really, really, really a wreck at the beginning of this match. He was he was falling. He was losing the ball. He was not handling passes. He was short on some passes, too heavy on others. And on this one, it is Werner getting in behind. He squares it to Conte at the edge of the box, but the heavy touch from the France World Cup winner, N'Golo Conte, uh, makes it easy for Diaz to just clear his lines. And I think I think that Pep Guardiola over over bet his all in on Ruben Diaz in this game, and I think that's why he left that number six role, that holding midfielder. If you're gonna play in a four three three with three midfielders, that guy in the hole and that number six that needs to be a true, you know, in my opinion at least, it needs to be a true. Workhorse Stallworth holding midfield destroyer. Gundogan is not that. Um, he would have mu been much better served if this is the way that he wanted to play. He would have been much better served with Fernandinho or with Rodri in that position. In the 14th, it's a, it's a save again. Chelsea nick it back into midfield. Chilwell's cross is blocked, but Havertz manages to pick it up. He lays it off to Timo Werner, who gets who gets it stuck under his feet but still manages to dig it out. But unfortunately, his shot is straight at Ederson. Danger averted again for Manchester City a minute later. They get a chance of their own. It's City. Actually, excuse me. They don't get a chance of their own. It's City who can't get out of their own half here at the moment. And Chelsea come again. Werner with another chance, this time from the left. He cuts inside before trying to catch Ederson. At his near post, but the deflection takes it into the side netting. And we're going to keep going in the 17th. It's Chelsea again. Great flowing move. 
As they go down the the left, Rudiger intercepts a De Bruyne pass. And let's talk about De Bruyne for a minute. I said I was going to talk about this. And De Bruyne is a player that is so good. So good at going forward with the ball and running with the ball. And watching his options open up in front of him and then setting up his teammates. Or taking that chance, you know, that shot when it opens up. He is such a good player facing goal. And for some reason, Pep Guardiola decides that in the biggest match of the season, he's going to overthink it. I think he's trying to get too many ball handlers on the pitch at the same time. That's what this lineup looks like to me. He's going back to the old Pep, the, the possession Pep, the Barcelona Pep, if you will. And he doesn't have Xavi and Iniesta. That's the only reason it worked at Barcelona all those years was Xavi and Iniesta. He does not have those guys. He over he overloads the pitch with ball handlers. He puts De Bruyne in a false nine, which I, I is just not the way to beat Chelsea. And De Bruyne spends the majority of this match playing with his back to goal. And making runs from the center out towards the touchline, still with his back on goal, back to goal, and with a marker on him. This is not how you get the best out of a player like Kevin De Bruyne. And here, De Bruyne uh, has his pass intercepted. Okay, it's intercepted by Rudiger, who then finds Werner. Werner touches it on to the overlapping Chilwell. Chilwell cur cur uh, curls across into the far post where Conte is waiting. But he flicks his header wide of the target. Very close again for Chelsea. And it starts to look like it's a matter of time before Chelsea nick one here. And I'm thinking to myself, I said this to my father watching this game with him. I go, one of two things is going to happen. City are gonna, Chelsea are going are gonna to die a little bit here. They're going to run themselves into the ground or they're going to make a bad mistake. And City are going to pounce on it, or or Chelsea are going to score very, very soon. I could see this game was not going to stay nil-nil much longer. 21st minute, uh, Sterling nicks the ball off of Jorginho in midfield. Drives through the middle before laying it off to De Bruyne on the left. He drills a low cross towards the penalty spot, but Azpilicueta is there again to clear it off. And no worries anyway as the flag goes up for offside against the Belgian international. We're going to fast forward a little bit and we see Bernardo Silva's name mentioned for the first time here in the 29th as he plays in Walker down the right. Again, Bernardo not running at players in this match, not not taking anybody on, not getting himself into the box, not setting up forwards. He's, in my opinion, playing too far back. He's playing in a true midfield role, which I think the reason for this is because Pep wanted him and Mares on the pitch. That's the reason. So he he dropped he dropped Bernardo back, and Bernardo can play that position. But now what happens here, and this is turning into a a battering of Pep Guardiola. But from what I see, what I see is Pep's insistence on having all of these ball handlers on the pitch at the same time. What he did is he's moved too many guys around, and now you're not getting the best out of them. You're you're asking too many players. To play roles that are not their best role. And as a collective result, the sum of all of its parts is you have a less strong, a less dangerous Manchester City. And again, it just seems to be overthinking. And, and for as 
great and great as Pep is a manager in league football. We see once again when it comes to cup finals or even in, in cup matches where he sometimes falls short. And I'm of the belief that you get to the final of the Champions League, you put your best team, your most regular team out there, and you let them decide if you lose, you lost with your best effort. You lost with your best horses. You went to the race, you played all your horses, and you just came up short. This way, he left a guy like like Jean Cancelo off the pitch in this match, which I don't think is is his best bet. He also, I'll get to it later, but he waits too long to bring on Kun Aguero, in my opinion. I mean, here's a guy that's got a wealth of experience. And I can't imagine he's so unfit that he couldn't have come in earlier in this match. You got a finisher like Gabriel Jesus. He keeps him off the off the off the pitch again to make room for. It's like he wanted to play a almost like a four six <laughs> with two lines of three of midfielders almost. It's it's all wide players and central midfielders that he decides and attacking midfielders that he decides to play with. Bernardo plays. Uh, you know, he plays Walker down the right, like we said, and Chilwell can't get ahead of him to stop the cross from coming in this time, but Walker fizzes it in from the byline. Mares can't reach it as it he can't reach it on the slide as Aspilicueta gets there first and is able to divert it out of the reach of the Algeria International Riyadh Mares. And the the momentum shifts a little bit here in the first half to to Manchester City now as Chelsea are struggling to keep hold of the ball. City start to close them down higher up the field. Gundogan is quickly in to nick it off of Jorginho. So here is a, a higher press starting to mount for Manchester City. And a good passing team like Chelsea problem with pressing them like this and pressing them high for too long okay is once one player misses misses his cue and misses his step well it's very easy for a team like Chelsea when you got magicians in midfield like Jorginho and Conte that can that can string together passes and connect the different phases of the game connect the back four or the back three in this case to the front three you know you run yourself the risk of getting in trouble and why not, before we do that, we get a yellow card in the 34th for Gundogan, who comes in late on Jorginho. And with that, you also see Thiago, Thiago Silva go down in the 36th um, with what appears to be a groin problem. He's receiving some treatment while Zuma and Christensen warm up on the sidelines. He tries to go on, but again... In the 39th, just three minutes later, he signals to the bench that it's not going to be, it's not going to work. And unfortunately for the Brazilian international, Thiago Silva, his day is over. His Champions League is over as he is forced off through injury. On comes Andreas Christensen. And he looks, Silva looks distraught, leaving the pitch, obviously. But a, a huge huge monumental opportunity for Andreas Christensen here to get into the match into a Champions League final and that takes us now we talked about the the 
high press of Manchester City and how much quality in terms of ball movement there is in Chelsea. And you really have two different schools of thought in how to play the game here between these two teams and these two managers, okay? And the, the statistics at the end of the match will show it. Whereas you have a Manchester City team that wants to keep the ball, and when they don't have it, they want to win it back. To a Chelsea side, that when they have it, they want to get a shot ASAP. Okay? They want to create an opportunity before you have set up. And as City starts to bring players forward and starts to move their back line into spaces, into attacking spaces, okay, and players have to shift and move around, that's when they're really primed to be hit on a counter. So in the 41st, here it goes. Chelsea break quickly, and Chilwell floats a great cross into the box, and he was looking for Werner at the far post, but it's brought down well by Stones. And takes it away, however, a little further up the pitch just a minute later with, with City's defenders all over the place trying to get forward in attack. It is it is Mason Mount that gets the ball. Okay, this is, this is a brilliant bit of football in my opinion, okay? And just a complete contrast to what Manchester City are trying to do. Manchester City are trying to link together 15, 20 passes and find the passing lanes to create a, an opportunity. You get here, Azil Pueta, okay? Quickly, before City have, have set up, he picks out Mason Mount, who's drifting out to the left center channel. Mason Mount literally takes one touch, looks up, okay? And as he's coming down the left... He is about 40 yards from his own goal. Because he's already out of position, City's right back. Kyle Walker is stepping to Mason Mount a long way from his own goal. Okay, What that, in fact, does, and this is great. If you want to go back and watch the video of this, okay, there's highlight reels everywhere. ES, you know, uh, Paramount Plus, CBS Sports has... Has them out. I'm sure a lot of the European broadcasters have highlight reels out. UEFA has highlights out. You really want to watch this one closely, okay? Walker is stepping really high. I mean, really high. And that forces John Stones to slide almost touchline wide to pick up Chilwell, who's making his run down the left flank. I believe it was Chilwell. Which then causes Ruben Diaz to shift to right center. Okay, he shifts to right center to pick up Timo Werner, who's making a run into that area. Now, Kai Havertz is is slowly drifting from the right side of Chelsea's attack into the center channel, and Alexander um, Zivchenko, Zvinchenko, excuse me, unsure whether or not to go with him. And he pauses. And this is the biggest mistake he made. I talked about how I thought that this, that, that choice to play him would hurt hurt City in the long run. And here's where it hurts them bad. Okay, he, he that, it, that moment of indecisiveness allows Havertz to get a head start on him. And he never makes up. He never makes up the space. The other problem, okay, 
What's happened now? Because if you can picture it, City's defense has shifted right. There is a huge, huge opening in behind behind Zif, uh, Zinchenko. Okay, that's that run that Havertz is running into. Okay, that space should have been picked up by Gundogan. If you've got Fernandinho or you have Rodri playing in that position, he knows to drop at the second that he sees Walker stepping so high. He knows the shift is on and he has to fill in in the center between the two center backs. He is the holding midfielder for a reason. All a holding midfielder is, guys, is in the old days you used to have a stop, a sweeper. The sweeper played behind the back line and swept everything. Today, we call the sweeper a holding midfielder. He sits in front of the back line, and he cuts off that diagonal ball that comes down the middle. Unfortunately, Gundogan is not in position. He's too far away. He's 25 yards up the pitch marking a midfielder. Okay, He's marking, I don't remember who, Conte, if I'm not mistaken. Completely out of position, allowing Havertz that space. And in the millisecond it took Mount to turn, pick his head up, while still with space to 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 pass, he sees a huge hole. I mean, he sees the Red Sea part parting. Okay, this is Moses parting the Red Sea because Kai Havertz has no but has nothing but real estate in front of him. Mount picks out a beautiful through ball. He plays it perfectly into space. Havertz runs onto it. Ederson comes out and commits himself. However, Havertz is there first. He knocks it past him. Uh, Ederson actually handles this ball. If this, uh, he he comes out sliding. He tries to tuck his arm in to not handle it. But in that process, the ball hits him in the hand. But it still gets in behind him. And as he's sliding, he can't turn and go fast enough. Havertz is walking in on goal. He slides it into the empty goal. If Havertz does not score this goal, I guarantee that that um, VAR interjects. Ederson is called for a handball and sent off. And, and City play the rest of the match with 10 men. So in a way, it was fortunate for City that this was a goal because it would have a comeback would have been that much harder with 10 men. But in the end, it is a goal. It is a beautiful goal. It's a great bit of football. It took about four and a half seconds to get from Azil Pueta to Havertz to the back of the net. It took four seconds and about two passes. Two perfect passes. That is the difference between these two teams in this match. And Chelsea have the lead as Mount uh, gets, gets a beautiful assist. And... A nice goal, obviously, for Kai Havertz. We go to halftime, and you're expecting Pep Guardiola to make a change. You're expecting to see something new here. I was expecting to see Kun Aguero come on. I'm going to be honest, okay? I thought he was going to get rid of this idea of of De Bruyne playing with his back to goal as a, as a post-up striker, which is what... It may have not been the idea that Pep had in mind, but it was what the game was forcing him to do. But no, he wouldn't do that. And the notes here at halftime say that Havertz's goal gives Chelsea a 1-0 lead in this Champions League final from the 42nd minute. Havertz got in between the City defenders, knocked it past Ederson, and slotted it into the, into the empty goal. Werner had a couple of good chances as well, but couldn't find the target. While Sterling had a shot saved from Mindy early in a tight angle. 
Chelsea looked the stronger side in the first half and caused City all kinds of problems every time they pushed forward. They were solid at the back as well. Tuchel will want a lot more of the same in the second half, obviously. And for City, you know, Guardiola will will have to see a big improvement and might benefit from making a change is what this is what the the reporter for FOTMOB is saying, and as and I was saying the same thing. It's time to make a change. I told you, I think that the change was you remove a midfielder, either Bernardo or Foden, and you bring on Kunaguero, and you drop Kevin De Bruyne into more of a number 10 role and let him run at, at defenders. But that was not what was in Pep's Pep's mind for this one. And we'll move forward. And the game starts to get a little bit chippy. In the 57th minute, a collision here between De Bruyne and Rudiger. Pretty nasty. Um, it looks like Rudiger's protective face mask ends up giving De Bruyne a nasty black eye. Uh, he So this collision was nasty. He hurt his knee. He hurt his face. And it was announced afterwards that he actually broke his nose on this play as well. And it really leads to the question about the safety of these masks. And uh, the fact that these hard hard plastic masks are allowed to be used in these matches. A collision like this, if that mask is not on, I don't think De Bruyne ends up with a broken nose and a black eye. And at what point is one player's protection... You know, allowed to to pose a risk to another player's safety. But De Bruyne's down in pain. He's receiving medical treatment, and you can see the black eye is already showing minutes later. And it even says here that the medical team is worried about problems to his neck. They tell Guardiola that he can't continue. On comes Gabriel Jesus at the 60th minute to replace Kevin De Bruyne. And while I didn't want to see De Bruyne come out of this match, this change does make Manchester City a little bit more efficient and a little bit more uh, functional, if you will, going forward. Um, the the only downside you don't get to see De Bruyne dropping towards, you know, dropping into into the space, into the gap to collect the ball. And being able to run at Chelsea and pick out passes, which I believe he is much better at than what he was asked to do in this match. And he probably doesn't get in this nasty collision with, with Rudiger if and there was no malintent on the Germans part on, on, on Antonio Rudiger's part. Don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But um had De Bruyne's positioning been changed and had a little bit of an adjustment been made, he probably doesn't get hurt and you keep him in this match. Could have been a much different outcome. But the substitution is made. In the 60th, there's big shouts from City players for a penalty as they're saying it hit Reese James in the hand in the box. Referee had a good view of it and said it hit his chest first. And now I have the question because I guarantee especially in this stadium they are playing in, I know full well that the home team that plays in that stadium, and City are the home team in this match, by the way, interesting side note, but if that's a penalty in favor of the home team of that stadium, that penalty is being called and confirmed by VAR each and every time. We've seen it. We've seen it week in and week out in the Portuguese League. Okay, And here is my problem with VAR. 
each country seems to have their own interpretations of what a penalty is. And looking on Twitter while the match was going on, a lot of people have said they've given up trying to figure out what is a penalty and what isn't. I understand it hits the chest first, but it definitely goes off the bicep of Reese James. I have seen plenty of referees look at that on the VAR monitor and point to the spot and give a penalty. It looks like VAR has the check, but they're saying that it's not a clear and obvious mistake. And I, as soon as I saw the referee looking at the city players, and with his head, he pats his chest and then his arm to explain that it went from the chest to the arm. I knew VAR wasn't gonna wasn't gonna overturn it because VAR would overturn in a case where where the referee didn't see it hit the hand. If the referee sees that it hit his arm and is judging that that is not a handball, then VAR is not gonna overturn it because that is not how VAR works or not supposed to work. Um, so even though I may disagree with the referee's interpretation of the handball rule. Or I should just say, I'd like to see it clarified from FIFA and from IFAB so that it's the same for everybody. But once I saw the referee make that explanation, I knew he's not going to be overturned because he saw exactly what happened and he called it the way he interprets the rule. And City do not look composed at all after that. They're starting to lose their composure. And then in a bizarre substitution for Pep Guardiola, now he brings on the holding midfielder when you're down uh, when you're down a goal to nil with 25 to play. Bernardo Silva is off. He was largely invisible in this match. Um, again, not playing in his best position, so uh, not surprising that he didn't really make much of an impact in the match. And he brings on the guy who probably should have started from the beginning in Fernandinho. And now you got Fernandinho and Gundogan in there together. Bernardo is off. And it's going to move Gundogan a little higher up the pitch. But would you rather have Gundogan up the pitch, or would you rather have, would you rather move Bernardo into a more attacking spot? Um, I think the the fact that Pep did not use a number ten, especially when you're losing, okay, that is where Bernardo should have gone into that spot. If you're not going to bring in, um, you know, you you don't have De Bruyne anymore as an option. You could you could bring in Kuhn to play that spot, but he's more of a of a of a box presence. But I don't understand why it's Gundogan that he wants to move into that number ten role while Fernandinho comes on. But again, I think Pep is just outthinking himself, outthinking his players, and he's just confusing everybody and moving too many pieces at once, and as a result, you're getting a lesser a lesser Force a lesser. You're getting a weaker Manchester City. You're just not getting the Manchester City we were accustomed to seeing. In the 66th minute, it's uh, Thomas Tuchel's turn to go to the bench. Timo Werner's day is done. On comes the American Christian Pulisic, Pulisic, and he is now the first American U.S. men's national team player to take the pitch in a Champions League final. Our friends at World Soccer Talk did point out that he's not the first American citizen to take the pitch in a men's Champions League final. That goes, of course, to Nikola Subotic, uh, who was a U.S. international and a U.S. citizen. 
playing U.S. Youth International, I should say, at the senior level. He made the one-time switch to Bosnia and played for Bosnia instead. But he is a American citizen, so to be very, very precise, Christian Pulisic is the first U.S. men's national team eligible player to play in the UEFA Champions League final. And in the 68th minute, you get Foden doing brilliantly to hold off Rudiger. Poke the ball out to Mares on the right. He curls across into the six-yard box where Jesus is waiting at the far post for the tap-in. But again, this name comes up yet again. What a performance from the captain, Cesar Azpilcueta. Slides in to clear it over the crossbar. And on the plate, Azpilcueta goes down holding his knee. And the medical team are quickly to give him some treatment. And he's quickly back on his feet and able to carry on. There's no way he's coming off the pitch with 20 minutes to play in the biggest game of the season. If not of his career. Uh, City seeing a lot of the ball. Which means Chelsea are sitting deep and keeping their shape. And again, just how much are you going to pass the ball around before you start to start to realize you have to take a different approach. City never changed their approach in this match. It's just over patience, over passing, over possessing. And it's it's really become my Achilles heel in this game. I really have come to not lo- be a big fan of this style of play. I don't think it's effective anymore. I think people have learned how to play against it. It's it's not a bad system of play. It's not a bad methodology. But when you're down, it becomes very easy to play against. You just keep the other team in front of you. You're winning. You don't have to score another goal if you're Chelsea. Plus, eventually the bad pass is going to come. Um, and eventually you're going to find a chance to counter. And in the 73rd, they get that chance. They break quickly. Havertz driving through midfield. And the City defenders can't even get close to him. Threads the ball through to the American Pulisic, who holds off Ruben Dias before chipping his shot over Ederson. But rather than the ball coming off, you know, the middle part of his his foot, it's a chip. He got his toes under it and chipped it. But it, it went off his first two toes rather than his probably middle toes. I'm not saying he towed the ball, but he got his toes under it and chipped it up. But he got it too much to the big toe area of his foot, causing it to go to the goalkeeper's right. It went over over the goalkeeper, but bent wide of the post. And he nearly made it 2-0 and nearly sealed the deal for the Blues. In the 74th, Sterling pulls off the back of James again to get onto Sevchenko's Sinchenko's through ball. He pulls it back to the near post from the byline. Looking for Gundogan. But Gundogan can't bring it under control. Chilwell is waiting in behind to clear it. And he plays it away from everybody. And clears it again. Would you rather have Gundogan? Or would you rather have even a quiet Bernardo Silva getting on the end of these balls? The choice is up to you. But I think Pep decided wrong once again on this one. Chelsea patiently moving the ball upfield in the 76th. Mount links well with Havertz. Down the right, opening some space through the middle. There's no one in that middle. So he decides to go at it himself, but he drags it just wide of the far post. And Pep is going to go to the bench again. And now, 
with 13 minutes to go. And I will say right here for everybody, he waited too long to make this switch. This took too long to happen. In comes Sergio Kun Aguero. In his final match as a city player, off comes Raheem Sterling. I really think this change needed to happen sooner. It would have changed the shape of Manchester City. It would have put several players back in roles that they're more familiar with, in roles they're better at. Instead, you got 13 minutes to find an equalizer, and you're giving Tuchel the chance to counter. And while City dominate possession, they're struggling to get in behind Chelsea. Chelsea know exactly what's coming. They know exactly what City are going to do. They're a step ahead every time. They're not poking to steal the ball at this stage. They're just not going to let you play it where you want to. And it gets you get a switch out to Walker on the right, but Chilwell stays with them all the way. And Walker can't even win a corner as his cross rebounds back off of him and goes out. Tuchel makes a substitution, makes his, and this may be just the checkmate uh, of the chess match as he makes his third substitution and Mount's day is done. Mason Mount, good performance from the England midfielder. He's replaced by Mateo Kovacic and the Croatian comes on for the Englishman in the 80th minute and 84 minutes. Still noting that Chelsea are frustrating City with their compact shape. And Ederson is forced to go long with his kick, which is not a bad way to attack at this point. It can force, at the very least, if you can make Chelsea's players have to turn around and turn their turn to a different a different direction and not have the entire game in front of them, you make force a mistake that you can take advantage of later. When you're just passing the ball square and back, you're allowing them to keep everything in front of them. I just don't understand why no tactical changes were made here and why they continue to just possess and possess and possess. You don't get this you don't get points for stringing passes together. It does not equal a goal. And eventually Edison's long kick goes as uh, Reese James misses his clearance so it falls for Aguero. Here you get a chance. He tries to trip it towards the far post. But Edward Mendy off his line, collects it comfortably, falls on it, and danger averted. 86-minute Walker floats a brilliant ball into the box after cutting inside from the right. It's just ahead of Aguero, so Foden throws himself forward to reach it, but can't get a touch at the far post as, again, unable to put it towards goal. And... Chelsea escape once again. 88th minute and Gabriel Jesus' frustration gets the best of him. And he catches Havertz with a late challenge. And it earns him a yellow card. And we're heading towards the end here. And another great chance here for City. Um, And what's funny is, and I said this to my dad as well. I said it's funny. All the passes they connect, all of the the tiki-taka. And now your best opportunities are coming off of long throw-ins. And that's what it is. It is throw-ins that are giving Chelsea, I'm sorry, giving Manchester City the best opportunity to equalize. Here it's an excellently fizzed cross into the six yards box. Um, But again, Chelsea just too well organized and they managed to clear it. 
And it pulls back for Foden in the middle, but again, the Chelsea defenders just crowd around him and smother it. He can't even get a shot off. We head into added time now. And again, it is from close range. It's another throw-in from Walker on the right. Chelsea just can't get their lines clear. Pulisic's header falls for Mares at the edge of the box. And this was the best chance Chelsea had late in the match to equalize, but it comes off of his shin guard rather than off of his foot. Of course, it's on his, his weaker foot, on his weaker right foot. And it goes wide. One last chance here at the end. And this is somewhat, you know, um, this is just fitting for the end of the match for, for City. They're moving the ball. They're still passing it backwards with seconds left. You know you have seconds left. Finally, uh, finally, Zinchenko has no choice but to go back to Ederson. But everybody in the world knows Ederson can put the ball in the opposing penalty area from pretty much anywhere on the pitch. Chelsea, I'm sorry, City's players are not even taking off. He wants them to go forward so that he can send that long ball, drop it in the mixer, and see if someone can get on the end of it and get an effort at goal. City's 10 players, 10 outfield players, can't even get up there. They're waiting. What are they waiting? There are seconds left. Ederson wants to drop the ball in the area. Chelsea aren't even playing that high of a line. I mean, it's in, they're inviting that kind of ball. And City, I don't know what they're thinking. Do they think they have time to string together 15 passes and work it up the pitch? Well, the long ball is sent and nobody is up there. It's, it's headed clear by Azpilqueta. And shortly thereafter, the referee, the Spanish referee, blows his whistle three times for full time. Chelsea Football Club are the champions of Europe. They are the UEFA Champions League winners. It is their first piece of silverware under Thomas Tuchel. And let me ask you, Paris Saint-Germain, let me ask you, PSG, how do you feel seeing your sacked manager lift the trophy with the big ears? You went to get Pochettino. You went to break the bank once again. Midway through the season, you could have stuck with Tuchel. You didn't. You went to Pochettino, who has about as much silverware in his CV as I do. And, well, you got outclassed by this Manchester City side. And Tuchel just masterminded and outfoxed them. He outtacticked the tactician, if you will. Checkmate in this chess match goes to Manchester City, to Thomas Tuchel. PSG have no choice but to watch and commiserate. Manchester City fans are going to be devastated. Their team played such brilliant football all season. But they left it at home in this final. They did not show up. And I have to put a lot of it on the manager. Um, perhaps I'm just joining the chorus because there was a lot of criticism of Pep Guardiola after this match in the press, in the, at least in the English language press. A lot of defending of him as well. He has a lot of allies who will not uh, allow him to be criticized especially in the Spanish-language media. But at the end of the day, it is Chelsea 1, Manchester City 0. The Blues are the champions. They win their second Champions League. And perhaps Manchester United should wake up because Chelsea are only one Champions League title behind you now.
to be and if you're Liverpool you're still well ahead of both teams but as far as English teams with Champions League titles but Chelsea slowly becoming a big you know more than just a rich club but now they're becoming a historic club player ratings in this match again brought to you by FOTMOB and um, these ratings don't necessarily reflect my opinion of what happened but remember this is the mathematical algorithm and City are going to have good ratings because they connect all kinds of passes and they completed dribbles but in the end um, very little dangerous um, action going on but here are the ratings we'll start with City Ederson is a 5.6 Kyle Walker with a 7.4 John Stone, 6.6. Ruben Diaz, 7.2. Alexander Zinchenko, 7.5. Despite being maybe the one of the, if not if not the, the second most culpable uh, on the goal that was surrendered. Phil Foden had a 6.7. Ilkay Gundogan, 7.0. Again, despite the defensive frailties, you can tell that this algorithm is very much weighted in favor of offensive statistics, in favor of completed passes, completed dribbles, aerials won. But not there's no there's no number you can put for positioning and for you know, just picking out plays and being in the right place at the right time. Bernardo Silva six point one, Riyad Mahrez six point one, Kevin De Bruyne six point three Raheem Sterling with a disappointed five, a disappointing 5.9. For Chelsea, Edward Mendy was a 7.5. He only had to make one save all match, but he gets a very good rating here. And again, all the clearance. Again, I said that this, this algorithm is very heavily weighted in offense. All of the clearances and all of the steals and all of the interceptions made by this guy, Cesar Azpilcueta, only get him a 6.8. He's got a lower ranking than the two guys that are at who that are most at fault for surrendering a goal at the other end. Thiago Silva only played 39 minutes and earned a 6.6. Antonio Rudiger 6.9. Again, their Chelsea are going to play they're playing a different game. A game that is not something analytics the analytics uh, programs like. And they're playing more direct. So they're going to connect fewer passes. They're going to attempt higher risk passes. Than the team that wants to possess. So that is affecting these ratings. Uh, Reese James is a 7.8 down the right. He had a good day. The man of the match from all accounts. And from everybody around the world that watched this match. Mesmerized by the play of N'Golo Kante. 8.2 for the France World Cup winner. And now Champions League winner with Chelsea. Jorginho at a 6.7. Ben Chilwell, 7.2. In attack, uh, in attack, you got Mason Mount with a 7.9. And actually, in this algorithm, Kai Havertz gets an 8.4. And he is actually Fought Mob's man of the match. I'll stick with my guy, N'Golo Conte. He did so many things that an analytics algorithm can't pick up on. And he just, his vision, his positioning, his... His defensive uh, efficiency, he just won tackles and was always in the right place, cutting out the skilled attacking 
you know, possession and dribbling of Manchester City all game. And despite several misses, uh, Timo Werner still has himself a better rating than any of the attackers at Manchester City. So that is what it is, but those are the ratings. Let's quickly look at some statistics. Manchester City wins the possession battle. No surprise there. 60.4% to 39.6%, but only created seven total shots. Well, with fewer, with less possession, uh, Chelsea created eight total shots. The chances created, five goal-scoring chances created by Manchester City, nine by Chelsea, again, with much less possession. Here's a, a telling stat. Accurate passes. Manchester City connected 533 accurate passes in these 90 minutes. 200 more, 211 more accurate passes than Chelsea. Again, this is why their player ratings are what they are. Um, in the midfield and in the back line for, for City because they're completing all these passes, very few of them in dangerous places. A high success rate, 88% for, for Manchester City, 80% for Chelsea. Uh, City committed 14 fouls, 13 committed by Chelsea. Chelsea were offside three times, and Chelsea had eight total shots to City's seven. As we move forward, this is some interesting numbers here. Uh, Manchester City connected 207 out of their 533 passes in their own half. That is that is <laughs> that is nearly half of their of their connected passes are in their own half. So honestly, if you're Chelsea, you will let City connect those passes all day long. Um, you look at just touches on the ball. Manchester City touched the ball 784 times to 569 for Chelsea. These numbers are what they are. They here's a, a key stat where where Chelsea won long balls. Chelsea sent 49 long balls in this one to 36. Um and even though City were more accurate in the long balls, uh Chelsea created a lot more of it. Here's a stat that will hurt you if you are Manchester City and you're kicking yourself the, you know this week. Manchester City attempted 13 crosses in this match. Only one was accurate. Uh, Chelsea outworked City winning the duels battle. Chelsea outworked City winning in tackles and in aerials and in interceptions. So that, that sums up the match. Um, big moment for, for Christian Pulisic also. Uh, the American celebrates with his family on the pitch after the match. And... Um, for those of you that, that watched CBS All I or I, I keep calling it that Paramount Plus and CBS Sports HQ, the post game coverage, you saw him wearing a US national team uh hoodie on the pitch, celebrating with his teammates in but wearing his US hoodie. I thought that was a cool little little shout out to everybody back here in the United States. Um it it, it is a important important thing. For an American to lift this trophy. Last year we saw a Canadian do it. We saw Alfonso Davies absolutely shine. And put Canadian football on the map last year. Major League Soccer product on the map. Now in this match you had two Americans. One on each side. Uh, both from Pennsylvania clubs. Not from MLS Academy. So this is a different. These guys come from a different, uh, a different avenue of the North American soccer or football landscape 
Uh, Christian Pulisic obviously representing the PA Classics. That was his club. While um, while City's backup goalkeeper there, he he is representing FC Delco, and he is um, I'm drawing a blank here for a moment. Uh, he is Zach Steffen. I'm sorry, Zach Steffen, the former Columbus Crew goalkeeper. Uh, he is a product of FC Delco, and he. Uh, you know, would come out unfortunate in this one, but a very good goalkeeper. But I, I do believe Zach Steffen needs to move on from from Manchester City uh, in time for next year's World Cup. I mean, there's a World Cup coming up in about 18 months, and I do believe if the U, the USA's goalkeeper needs to be a number one on his club, um, I don't think he's going to get any better sitting on the bench at Manchester City or playing League Cup football and playing, you know the odd rotation match in so be interesting to see where he goes this summer but again this pep versus tuchel matchup it was clearly won by thomas tuchel um a student of the game he just he just i think he was more prepared he had studied his opponent whereas i think the fact that he had studied his opponent so well drove pep to change too many things because he knew that they were well scouted. Because they've struggled against Chelsea this season. This is the third defeat of Pep Guardiola by Thomas Tuchel this season. And he only arrived at Stamford Bridge in January. So a very, very good six months, no doubt, for less than that for Thomas Tuchel at Chelsea. Chelsea are the winners. They will uh, enjoy this all summer, no doubt. And with that, that closes this episode 37 of Parking the Bus. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Remember, we are now just 10 days away, depending when you're listening to this. But at the time of recording, we are just 10 days away from Euro 2020. And I have you covered for the duration of Euro 2020 each night that there are matches 8 p.m. Eastern time on www.parkingthebusmedia.com or on the PTB Media Network's uh, Twitter page, okay, or the PTB Media Network's YouTube page. One of those three locations is where you will find the nightly Parking the Bus Euro Edition podcast, okay? We're going to go through it night by night until we get to the final at Wembley on July the 11th. And we're going to build to it. And please go now. Uh, the link is in the show notes. Click on it. And the the league code is there. Join my prediction league on the Mob app. Okay, I started a league. I want to play with all of you. We're going to talk about that each night on the podcast. Um, you know, once we get past the first stage. Because I don't think there will be a table until the first stage is complete. Because you're going to pick the 16 teams that are going to advance. And then you're going to pick each knockout stage from there on. And we're going to see who wins this at the end of it. And it'll be a great way for all of us to interact with each other. And to give us something extra to talk about on the podcast when we talk about the matches in Euro 2020. And we can talk about uh, where everyone ranks. It will be a good time. I do believe it. And again, if you want to come on the podcast, if you have a favorite team in this Euro 2020, let me know. You can email me by emailing ptbmedianetwork 
at gmail.com or just send me a DM on Instagram at PTB underscore media or through Twitter as well. I'll take a DM in Twitter as well at the same PTB underscore media. Let me know. We can arrange to have you on if you can be available at 8 p.m. Eastern time the night you're after you, or the night that your team plays. I'll take fans of any team, okay? And I would love to get insight from, from supporters supporting different teams in this upcoming tournament. All right, that's going to do it. Like I said, episode 38 is coming your way tomorrow. It will be a... It will be a recap of the 2020-2021 European Big Five Leagues, okay? I got that coming up tomorrow. And then we're going to move back to South America for the rest of the week, or for to Latin America, I should say. Uh, we'll have a Copa Libertadores, Copa Sudamericana recap. The group stages are done. We now know who the 16 teams in each competition are that are going to the knockout stages. Plus... After that, we've got round one of the Brasileiro to talk about the league. One of my favorite leagues in the world has just kicked off. And we had some fireworks already in the first match of the season. Plus, at the end of the week, maybe even by the weekend, I've got a recap of the Liga MX Gran Final. Cruz Azul versus Santos Laguna. I'll talk all about that later this week. All that is coming your way here on the Park in the Bus podcast this week. Plus, I've got recaps of the Euro uh, under 21 championships and and also the UEFA, not the UEFA, excuse me the CONCACAF Nations League Final Four which takes place later this week in Denver, Colorado. So much football going on right now and I'm, I'm going to be doing my best to keep pace with it so stay tuned subscribe right now to the PTB Media Network and to the Park in the Bus podcast. Okay, subscribe on Apple, Twitter, Sorry, Apple, Spotify, wherever you choose to get your podcasts. Okay, uh, Parking the Bus is on most of them. Thank you again. This is the Mr. Mike Augustine signing off. And you'll hear from me tomorrow when we talk about the Euro Leagues and throughout the rest of the week. Have a great night, everybody. Enjoy your football, and we'll see you next time here on Parking the Bus.